Long history, Florida, Texas and Northern Mexico in the 1500s, Top 10 Surprises. Hello and welcome to another of our episodes of Top 10 Surprises. This is where I look at a document that we've covered in the past and pick out the things that kind of struck me at the time that most interested me, that caught my attention. Now the document I've used here isn't one of the more famous ones, I don't think. Anyway, uh, I've called it Florida, Texas and Northern Mexico in the 1500s. That's a name I created. The text was actually written by a man called Cabeza de Vaca. He set off on an expedition headed by Pamphilo de Narvaez, which started in Florida, went along the Gulf Coast to to Mexico and then inland towards uh, the Mexican border and then down through Mexico to the uh, Pacific. This journey took place from 1528 to 1536. And I'll just give a reminder from the 1907 introduction to this journey by F.W. Hodge, where he summarizes the journey as follows. In some respects, the journey of Alvar Núñez Cabeza de Vaca and his three companions overland from coast to coast during the eight years from 1528 to 1536 is the most remarkable in the record of American exploration, and as a narrative of suffering and privation, the relation here presented perhaps has no equal in the annals of the northern continent. So it's not just a voyage of exploration, but it's also of dire deprivation, there's a great deal of death and suffering in this document, and as such there are plenty of surprises. There are actually some very intense moments which we'll look at here. I've done a few of these top 10 surprises episodes now. I think these are some of the most enjoyable episodes that I put together for a long history, basically because I can apply a bit of my own analysis to a document. And I've generally left a bit of a gap between recording the text and then recording um, these episodes so I can digest it a bit and have a think about what still stands out after, uh, after a few weeks. And that's basically what I put together in this episode. So here we go with top 10 surprises in the document about Florida, Texas and Northern Mexico in the 1500s. I hope you enjoy this and let's get going. Now, as in the past, there's no strict order to these events. There's a vague kind of chronological order, as I've done in the past, but um, they do kind of leap around a bit because, as I say, I've kind of just thought of these off the top of my head. The first of the surprises is the numbers, I've called it. I said in the previous episode about the top 10 events, how the kind of most striking thing at the beginning is the number of men who who, um, leave the ship and then who die. Even in episode one, I've got the following quote where 140 men leave. This is in Santo Domingo. And the quote is, Here we lost from our fleet more than 140 men who wished to remain seduced by the advantages and promises offered to them by the people of that country. So there's a bit of overlap with the previous um, episode of Long History there. But the surprise is actually the numbers because we start off with 600 people and by episode 20 that number has been reduced to 4. So that extraordinary kind of steep drop off is something I wasn't expecting when I first started reading the document. I mean, I've looked at a few documents now for long history and um, there's certainly some dire events that take place, not least in Magellan's document, I suppose. But nevertheless, the steep decline from 600 people to four is not something I was expecting from this gentle little document about a Spaniard wandering around uh, the Gulf Coast in the uh, 1500s at all. So that's the first surprise, the numbers. The second surprise I've put here is the emotions. And again, there might be a bit of overlap here with the top 10 events, but the disagreement that happens between Cabeza de Vaca and Pamphilo de Narvaez is very striking in the document. It happens particularly in two episodes, episodes 2 and 6. In episode 2, Cabeza de Vaca disagrees with Pamphilo de Narvaez about what they should do, whether um, the expedition should explore on land or it should first find a safe harbour for their ships. And the governor, Pamphilo de Narvaez, suggests that Cabeza de Vaca head, go back to the ships while he stays on land and then um, wanders off and looks for um, this safe harbour. And Cabeza de Vaca replies, 
I answered that I rejected the responsibility as I felt certain and knew that he was never more to find the ships, nor the ships him, which might be foreseen in the slender outfit we had for entering the country. So it's that direct rejection in this text that kind of reveals the emotion involved here. And it's revealed again later on in the sort of the denouement of this um, particular aspect of the text. When the two men are in boats, stuck in the gulf itself, and are wondering what to do, Cabeza de Baca asks Pamphilo de Narvaez, the leader, what should they do? And the commander replies, he answered that it was no longer a time in which one should command another, but that each should do what he thought best to save his own life, that he so intended to act, and saying this, he departed with his boat. So it's the sheer emotion of that episode, really, and the outright betrayal. It's actually quite rare in Spanish documents for there to be disagreements between Spanish in this way. We've had mutinies so far, but this has always been with treacherous men. The leaders have always been good people in charge, making the right decisions. But Cabeza de Vaca in his text here is making it quite clear that Pamphilo de Narvaez made the wrong decisions. So that's the second surprise, the emotions involved in this document. And number three, there are connections with all these first few um, surprises, shall we say. The, the name I've given this one is The Extremities. So we've had the numbers, the emotions, and now it's the extremities of what is described in this document. And I only need to give a few quotations, really, so I'll do that here. This is one from episode five. Our thirst was so excessive that it put to us the extremity of swallowing seawater, by which some of the men became so crazed that three or four suddenly died. Here's another one from episode five. This is when they're on the water. I state this so, briefly, because I do not believe there is any necessity for particularly relating the sufferings and toils amidst which we found ourselves, since, considering the place where we were, and the little hope we had of relief, everyone may conceive much of what must have passed. So that sentence was a bit of a tongue twister, but we can see here that Cabeza de Vaca is basically saying, imagine the worst, and that's what happened. And perhaps we have an example of the worst, with this quotation here about cannibalism. The living dried the flesh of them that died, and the last that died was Sotomayor, when Esquivel preserved his flesh, and, feeding on it, sustained existence until the 1st of March. So here we have direct examples of Spaniards eating other Spaniards, very gruesome. Here's another example of the trials of the Spaniards. He and Mendez were taken by the Indians, and while with them, his associate fled, going as well as he could in the direction of Panuco, and the natives, pursuing, put him to death. And Cabeza de Vaca makes it quite clear that there are many different groups of uh, local people, some of whom are very generous and very friendly and, as we see, even worship the Spaniards. But there is also some very harsh treatment as well. The Spanish are taken into slavery in this quotation. In this time I passed a hard life, caused as much by hunger as ill usage. Three times I was obliged to run from my masters, and each time they went in pursuit and endeavoured to slay me. But God, our Lord, in his mercy, chose to protect and preserve me. So that's from episode 11. And we can see it's kind of quite striking to think that this, these things actually happened in real life. Of course, this is just one man's account of events, but there can be no doubt that these events were pretty desperate. And that is the third kind of surprise, just how extreme this document gets. I mean, I've seen hints of cannibalism elsewhere, but I've never seen direct descriptions of it and direct descriptions of slaughter and capture, or particularly of Spaniards, actually, which is perhaps particularly telling from a Spanish document. Well, it doesn't seem to be much euphemism here, we just see the horror of it. So in those first three surprises, there was a bit of overlap with the previous episode of Long History where we looked at the main events in the document, and the kind of a small subset, a trilogy of surprises there, which are all kind of linked to the theme of the suffering that took place on the expedition. 
we can perhaps move away from that in the next one, which I've given the headline of Hints of Indigenous Spirituality. Cabeza de Vaca does describe a lot of the indigenous traditions, a lot of their strange, in his eyes, ways of living. But those kind of cultural traditions don't particularly surprise me. What does surprise me, however, is kind of the ingrainedness of the beliefs. I've got two examples here. One, I would say, is the more typical rendering of such a tradition by a a Spaniard in such a document. This is from episode 12. They said that a man wandered through the country, whom they called the bad thing. He was smaller body and wore beard, and they never distinctly saw his features. There's a bit of a gap in the text, and then it continues. These things they told us of, we much laughed at and ridiculed, and they, seeing our incredulity, brought us to many of those they said he had seized, and we saw the marks of the gashes made in the places according to the manner they had described. Now, like I said, this is a pretty typical description, although it's interesting in itself, this belief in this um, creature called Bad Thing, the evidence given by the local people, and the scoffing at it by the Spaniards. But I like this quotation here more from episode 8, which shows the ingrainedness of these traditions, really, and a slightly more nuanced description of such traditions by Cabeza de Vaca. They cure by blowing upon the stick, and with that breath and the imposing of hands, they cast out infirmity, They ordered that we should do this, and be of use to them in some way. We laughed at what they did, telling them it was folly, and we knew not how to heal. So that sets it up. There's a bit of a gap in the text again, and this is where it continues. Seeing our persistence, an Indian told me I knew not what I uttered, in saying that what he knew availed nothing, for stones and other matters growing about in the fields have virtue, and that passing a pebble along the stomach would take away pain and restore health. And certainly then, we who are extraordinary men must possess power and efficacy over all other things. So we see here something quite rare, not just a Spaniard describing one of the customs, but he's actually describing the local thinking as well. And he's showing the locals arguing back, saying, no, our beliefs do have validity. And it's hard to draw, know what dr- conclusions to draw from that, but what the surprise there is that um, Cabeza de Vaca, there are hints of him taking these things seriously, you know? And I could guess, for example, that if this was written by a more religious man, for example, he would be putting it in terms of God and the devil. But in turn, this makes Cabeza de Vaca's point of view quite unique, actually. So that's the fourth surprise, the hints of indigenous spirituality. I'll give the quote for the fifth surprise here. In it are vast forests, the trees being astonishingly high. So many were fallen on the ground as to obstruct our way in such a manner that we could not advance without much going about and a considerable increase of toil. Many of the standing trees were riven from top to bottom by bolts of lightning which fall in that country of frequent storms and tempests. Now, I don't know Florida, but I do wonder from reading that description if anyone would guess that that was Florida being described. Perhaps for someone who knows the state, it's actually very easy to see Florida there. But the surprise for me was, I, when I think of Florida, I don't think of tall trees uh, being split apart by lightning and vast forests, for example. So either that just shows my ignorance of Florida, or it shows just how much Florida has changed over the years, and certainly how much the image of Florida has changed over the years. I think the landscape of Texas and of uh, northern Mexico, for example, when there are little hints of descriptions of the landscape, there aren't much of it, but they, are, they always come off as I would expect them to sound. But this one surprised me. I don't have an image of large forests in Florida. And that was surprise number five. And here's another very curious quotation from episode 14. There's a lot to unpack here. I'll give the quotation. In the time I was thus among these people, I witnessed a diabolical practice, a man living with another, one of those who are emasculate and impotent. They go habited like women and perform their duties, use the bow and carry heavy loads. 
Among them we saw many mutilated in the way I describe. They are more muscular than other men and taller. They bear very weighty burdens. So this is the only time that such a description exists in the document. And the more I read it, the less I know what to conclude from this, actually. At first I thought it was describing homosexuality when it's described as a diabolical practice. That's quite a predictable reaction to homosexuality in the 1500s. But then it says that these men are habited like women. So you kind of think, well, perhaps this is something to do with being transgender. And this is a very early example of um, non-binary people. But then the next sentence goes even further and says that these people are mutilated in some way. And the most confusing aspect of this is when it says that it's, they are more muscular than other men and taller. They bear very weighty burdens. So I know it's easy to be reductive here, but if we're talking about men who are more muscular than other men, then that doesn't imply that they're feminine. So it seems to be a description of perhaps eunuchs, but this is the only time I come across this in this document. Difficult to come to any conclusions and difficult to say anything more about it really, other than that I found this particular thing surprising. They don't tend to occur in um, these documents, but at least it's interesting to see some kind of exploration of non-binary people, but in what way I'm not quite sure. So that's surprise six, this discussion of non-binary people. And surprise seven, it's something that you perhaps had to look for, but I did find it, and that was a surprise in itself. And this is that Cabeza de Vaca acknowledges and understands that there are many different groups of people he's dealing with. And I say this because I, f I think it's easy to be very reductive about such documents and say, you know, they're all, all indigenous people have been talked in terms of cliches which to a certain extent is true, and you can account for that in any analysis of um, how these people are described. But Cabeza de Vaca himself does make it clear that there are very many different traditions. He often says, you know, this tradition happens within this particular area. So he spent enough time with these people to understand that there are differences. And I've got a couple of quotations here, one's from episode 11. These people speak a different language and are called Avavares. They are the same that carried bows to those with whom we formerly lived, going to traffic with them. And though they are of a different region and tongue, they understand the other language. So we can see the examples of linguistic complexity here. Plenty of enmities are described between various uh, groups of people, but here we see trade taking place between two groups of people, and that they understand each other's language. So there's another example of that in episode 17. I'll give a quotation here. We questioned them and received their answers by signs, just as if they spoke our language and we theirs, for, although we knew six languages, we could not everywhere avail ourselves of them, there being a thousand differences. So I like that he says that there were a thousand differences there. To me that's saying that Cabeza de Vaca has been a bit of a linguist here, he has learnt these languages, and he's learnt them to the extent that he even knows the differences. And sort of there's a hint there that he's become frustrated with those differences, which is something I think that anyone who's tried to learn a language understands. So like I say, it's easy to step back and look at all these local people, indigenous people, and tie them all with the same brush. But I think Cabeza de Vaca's text is interesting because you can, if you dive a little bit deeper, kind of find all the differences between these groups of people. So that's surprise number seven, that there are, Cabeza de Vaca does understand that there are very groups of, different groups of people at play here. Now when I read this document, I, I came at it cold, I did not know anything about it at all. And I think as the document goes on, it starts to take on an almost surreal character. I don't know if anyone else agrees there. And the surrealness comes from this um, episode where the indigenous people begin to see Cabeza de Vaca as a, as a leader and almost as a god. So surprise number eight is just the strength of that belief. And I suppose from my point of view, and the reason why it's on this list is because it's, it's pretty much beyond belief that um, this could actually have happened. But perhaps in a sense that truth is stranger than fiction, it does seem to have happened. 
and Cabeza de Vaca has claimed that he's treated like a healer is given very substantial evidence, such as here. While we still feign to be displeased lest their fright should leave them, a remarkable circumstance happened, which was that on the same day many of the Indians became ill, and the next day eight men died. Abroad in the country, wheresoever this became known, there was such dread that it seemed as if the inhabitants would die of fear at the sight of us. They besought us not to remain angered, nor require that more of them should die. So this curiously fits into the history, the very sad history of the people in the Americas dying of European diseases, and the kind of quite logical conclusion that they might draw from that, that the Europeans brought these diseases, but they also thought that the Europeans could take away these diseases. And as it turns out, some of the people do get better. Therefore, the local people think that the Europeans can heal these people. So as strange as this is, it is also very logical and credible, actually. And the way this strength of um, indigenous people evolves is perhaps an interesting case in itself about how such beliefs do evolve. So that's surprise number eight, the strength of that indigenous belief about Cabeza de Vaca. And I'd say that Cabeza de Vaca's relationship with the local people gets more interesting the more you analyse it. He doesn't just dismiss them as savages, which is the first cliché that these documents sometimes reach for. Indeed, I'm not sure this is deliberate in Cabeza de Vaca's uh, document, but the Spanish really do seem to be the savages by the end of this document. I've got a few quotations here. At sunset, the Indians, thinking we had not gone, came to seek us and bring us food. But when they saw us, in a plight so different from what it was before and so extraordinary, they were alarmed and turned back. I went towards them and called when they returned much frightened. This takes place quite early on in episode 7, and we can see the ambiguity of the kind of, they come to bring food and help, but are scared when they see these people, the Spanish people. So they have a kind of awe towards the Spanish. I don't really know what to make of them. Now there's a quotation very late on here where the um, Cabeza de Vaca describes how the local people see him, particularly in contrast to other Spanish people they've come across. So when he says we here, I think he's referring to the four Spanish survivors of the expedition. We had come whence the sun rises, and they, whence it goes down, we healed the sick, they killed the sound. We, that we had come naked and barefooted, or they had arrived in clothing and on horses with lances, that we were not covetous of anything, but all that was given to us we directly turned to give, remaining with nothing, and that the others had the only purpose to rob whomsoever they found, bestowing nothing on anyone. So the, we can see that the uh, indigenous people seem to look very positively towards Cabeza de Vaca and his three companions, and they contrast them with the, the terrible behaviour of the Spanish in the local area. And Cabeza de Vaca seems to appreciate this. By this time, even though he talks about being in captivity and the terrible time and being so glad to get back to the Spanish-speaking world, he does to some extent seem to appreciate and like these people and wants to defend them, and is unhappy when he finds out that the Spanish treat them so badly. But there is a slight footnote to this, however, which is also in episode 19. It's the quotation here. We ordered them to come down from the mountains in confidence and peace, inhabit the whole country and construct their houses. Among these, they should build one for God. Now this quotation goes on, but what it's basically saying is he does seem to like these people and he wants to defend them against the bad behaviour of the Spanish, but they have to change. This seems to be Cabeza de Vaca's conclusion here. And by change, well, it's very ambiguous, but ultimately, Cabeza de Vaca is saying that they have to become Christians, they have to worship God, they have to take on the Spanish belief system, perhaps that they have to become more Spanish, and that, but that certainly they have to become part of the Spanish Empire. So I think, again, there's a lot to take apart there. But overall, it's the surprises and the ambiguity of the relationship between Cabeza de Vaca and these people. 
They are friends, enemies, he likes them, he appreciates their languages, but they also, they have to change. Even though Cabeza de Vaca knows that they are being treated badly by the Spanish. And that is surprise number nine. And finally, and inevitably, the last surprise is the strange ending to this document. I said in the previous list of main events in the document that there's very little, if perhaps there's no triumphalism in this document when, when things come to an end. And it's true that the ending, it seems more of a relief when um, uh, Cabeza de Vaca gets back to the Spanish rather than uh, a victory. Especially in episode 20 when he says, I gave thanks to our Lord for escape from the troubles of the land and perils of the sea. And it was a phrase I liked so much that I used it as the title of one of the episodes of episode 20. So there is a sense of the weariness there. But again, there's that ambivalence throughout the whole document of his relationship with the people and what happened or the events that took place. And perhaps I'm over-interpreting it, but there is a kind of a sense of what is this civilization that he's going back to. I, I get the sense of that. So that's the last surprise, the strangeness of this ending. I said in the list of top 10 events that it takes place over four episodes, the ending. It's as if he's not quite sure how to end the document, which in itself stood out to me. So thank you all for listening to the top 10 surprises that took place in uh, Cabeza de Vaca's document. I think you can see there's quite a mix there. But I suppose you could say overall that one of the things that surprises me is just how extreme this document was. Especially if you compare it, for example, to Columbus's voyage across the Atlantic, which I've seen in some places described as dramatic, but compared to Cabeza de Vaca's uh, journey, nothing happens to Columbus. I think also you can see here that I'm just scratching the surface. There's so much analysis you could do of this document, so many things you could pick apart, particularly on the uh, descriptions of um, indigenous traditions and the way Cabeza de Vaca portrays those traditions. It's all very interesting. And of course, there's the added drama of the, the terrible number of deaths that take place in the document. And in that light, it seems a bit strange to hope that you've enjoyed listening to this document. But if you've made it this far, I'd like to think it's because you've liked this in some way. So I hope you will give it a like and subscribe. Don't forget to explore the past documents as well. Magellan's voyage around the world, Columbus's voyage across the Atlantic. And of course, there's quite a bit about the Philippines now. Subscribe for our future series. There's plenty to come. So as always, thank you for listening and goodbye.